Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. You are not allowed to eat the donut until after dinner. And then not only does he eat that donut, but he takes every other one. He licks it one after the other. Anyone ever lived through a little brother like that? Yeah. You know, uh, when we read this story about Jesus, when he and his disciples are walking through fields and they're picking heads of grain, and they're told not to do it on the Sabbath, and then Jesus goes in the synagogue, and he heals a man right after he's been told not to, it can kind of look like Jesus is acting like that little brother who's told not to do one thing, and then he licks all the donuts, right? He's like, yeah, whatever. Here, look at me. I'm doing this thing. But that's not exactly what's happening here. And uh, we may feel the same way about this title, Jesus Talks Back. And this is the series we're spending some time in. And we're looking together at passages where it does seem like Jesus is being maybe a little controversial, a little edgy. When people would challenge him or sometimes push back on what he was doing, there are countless examples of times that Jesus said, listen, this is what you really need to understand. And we don't mean that Jesus is talking back like a bratty little kid disobeying their parents any more than Jesus was actually being like that little boy when he healed that man. But to understand it, let's look at the story a bit more. Now, as Rob said, it's found in Matthew 12. And if you'd like to look at it as I talk about it, that's on page 792 of the Bibles in the seats. And let's uh, look at both parts of the story. It's a two-parter. And it says, at the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to them, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So the first question that would be important to understand is, who are these people, the Pharisees? When Jesus came to earth, there were a number of different religious groups. There was the Jewish faith, through out of which we came as Christians, but there were different branches of Judaism, just like there's different branches of Christianity. And one of those was a group called the Pharisees. Now, we're going to be looking at the Pharisees a lot. So I'm going to put up a video in the next few days. Uh, we did some of these videos in the fall with me and Dr. Stanley Porter, and he's going to explain who the Pharisees are very effectively. But the short version is that they were the group that wanted to keep Judaism in the way they felt it should be. They were good guys. They had felt things had gone too far awry. God had given laws for his people to follow, and their desire was that God's people would remember these laws so that God would bless them. And so not only did they want to remind people of the laws, but they wanted to give them lots of information so that people would be careful not to break the laws. So sort of like the law before the law, so that you didn't even get close to breaking the law. Here's what you wouldn't do, so you kind of didn't even get near it. You didn't even want to risk breaking the law. And uh, they would be very, it would be very important to them to enforce these things. And God's law said a lot of things, one of which was that they were not to break the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. And it was very important to Jewish people, still is. They would take that seventh day to rest. The law said, don't work on the Sabbath. And for them, the Sabbath was a reminder of lots of things. It was a reminder of God's covenant with them, that they were God's people. They were doing this thing no one else was doing. And it was a reminder to them of God's creation, because on the seventh day, God rested. And it was quite radical. This was a time when no one took days off. In fact, when you read a lot of ancient history, people criticize the Jews as being lazy, Every seventh day, they stop working. What's that about? 
Now, of course, if they were supposed not to break the Sabbath, that meant that there were people who said, well, how are we going to make sure that we don't break the Sabbath? And through the years, there's, there's other literature where people, uh, where the Jewish people would come up with extra things that would say, this is also what you need to follow. And there were actually 39 restrictions on the Sabbath. There were 39 things that they said, that counts as work. So if someone said, I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath, what is work? 39 things. And they were like, what you could lift, how far you could walk. And one of them was that you weren't allowed to harvest you weren't allowed to reap. You weren't allowed to reap your fields. And so when the Pharisees say to Jesus' disciples, why are you breaking the law? The one that they're suggesting that they're breaking is that they're harvesting, right? They're picking grain. Now, it's debated if they were actually breaking the law here. It sounds like they're being fairly persnickety. Not everyone probably would have said that that's actually breaking the law. But, of course, there's a lot of backstory here. They're pretty cynical about Jesus. But basically what they're saying is Jesus... If you claim to be from God, how can your disciples justify breaking our laws? Don't they care about God? Don't they care about our laws? If they did, they wouldn't be picking those heads of grain. And this is when Jesus talks back. He talks back. He answers them. And he makes three arguments, and you'll see them on your screen. The first thing he does is remind them of a story of a man named David. David was a king. He had been a king many, many generations before this, but he was remembered as Israel's best king, most godly king, the king who most understood God's ways. And he reminds them of something that happened that's written in the Bible in 1 Samuel 21. And in this story, David actually isn't king yet. He's on the run from the current king, Saul, who wanted to kill David. And it says that David and a group of his men went, uh, he was in a place called Nob, and he goes to the holy place, and there there's a priest, and he ends up eating the bread that has been set out, that the priest has set out. It's called the showbread, and no one, according to scripture, was supposed to eat this bread except the priest. But in this story, it reads that the priest says to David, I don't, the David, David says, we're very hungry, our men are hungry. The priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. And David has this bread and he eats it. So Jesus says, well, like you're giving me a hard time for breaking the laws, but like, do you remember when David broke the laws? Like that happened. And then he says something else, something actually sort of, really uh, set to sort of set people off because he uses some strong words. And he has, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty desecrate the Sabbath? And what he means is that the priests who are working in the temple on the Sabbath, they still do things like make sacrifices. They light fires for the sacrifices. Lighting a fire wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. They lift animals to make sacrifices. So he actually says, well, you know, the priests desecrate the Sabbath all the time when they're doing this. And as you can imagine, this is some pretty intense stuff they're saying here. He's saying, but what he's saying is, you, have, you always make exceptions to these rules. And how do you make the exceptions? And the short answer is that they make exceptions when something is more important than the law. So for example, when David and his men are starving, it's more important. When the temple needs to be maintained, the temple, which was God's place of worship in Jerusalem, is more important than the Sabbath. 
And so then you allow the, the priest to do it. So then Jesus makes this really great point. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. It's a big statement, right? So he says, you let the priests break Sabbath for the sake of the temple because the temple is more important than Sabbath. But something even more important than the temple is here. And who does he mean? Himself, right? This is a big statement. The way of argument that he's using here, and forgive me, I don't speak Hebrew, so this is my best guess at how it's pronounced, but here's the word, kelwahamer. Kelwahamer, it's a way of arguing that means light to heavy. It's basically saying, if there's this thing and there's this thing, then the thing that's weightier always takes more value. So if it's okay for the temple, then obviously it's okay for the thing that's even more important than the temple. Right? So if it's okay to break the Sabbath for the sake of the temple, the heavier thing it will be equally okay. It's a form of argument. So this is one of the points he's making. But there's another point he's trying to make, and he does this in the third point when he quotes the Bible from Hosea 6.6. 6, and he says, have you not read, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? And he's pointing to a common reality. He's pointing out what he sees as the missing of understanding the greater good for the sake of their traditions, that their traditions sometimes overtake the greater good. Jesus is in no way trying to defend himself here or justify picking grain by saying, well, other people did it, so I should be allowed. That's not what he's doing. He's actually challenging the very way that the Pharisees read their scriptures. He's saying you use your scripture to explain the littlest nuances of everyday living, like picking a piece of grain on the Sabbath, and somehow you find ways to make exceptions for those things. But what about the even more important things, like mercy and love? The God who says, I desire mercy, not just your sacrifices. In other words, you get all the church stuff right, but you get love wrong. All the church stuff right, but love wrong. And then this is where Jesus kind of, again, looks like that kid licking all the donuts. You're not supposed to do that, and then he does something even more radical. And so he says this, and then he says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, their place of worship, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And I'm going to give you a short answer. Their answer was no. It was not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Their rule was that you could only do the minimum to save a life. If you broke an arm, you did not set a broken bone. That had to wait till the next day. If you had a burn, you didn't treat it unless they were in imminent danger of dying. You could not get, see, because if you got too close to working, if it looked too close to working, then you would break the Sabbath. Even in the case of saving a life, you could only do the minimal amount necessary just to keep them alive. To show how much the Jews took this seriously, there are so many cases in history of cases where Jews didn't, uh, where people living in Jerusalem and other parts where they wouldn't even fight back on a Sabbath. Uh, just before Christmas when I was telling the story of Hanukkah, which some of you may know, um, and there was big rebellion, and there was a whole group of Jews that were uh, trapped in this one particular area, and all their enemies were coming to attack them, and they showed up on a Sabbath, and none of them fought back. They did nothing. Literally, they didn't hold, they didn't close doors, they didn't put up walls, they did not, they sat there and they were massacred, absolutely massacred, because it was Sabbath. And so when they say, is it okay 
to heal on a Sabbath, they're doing that because if Jesus answers yes, they're like, see, he breaks the Sabbath, and we have a reason to bring him up as breaking our laws. Jesus, knowing their answer, because <laughs> he knows what they think, asks a question. And he says, if any of you have a sheep and it falls in a pit on a Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on a Sabbath. He ends up answering a different question. They're asking, what's all the stuff we're not supposed to do? And he says, you know what's lawful? Instead of saying what's lawful not to do, not to do, I'll tell you what's lawful. It's lawful to do good. And what he's saying is, do you see how backwards you've made things? That your law would allow a sheep to be taken from a pit, which was the case. If an animal fell in a pit and was about to die, there was an exception made that they could help get this animal out of the pit. So he says, you would save a sheep in a pit, but you wouldn't save this man who's been suffering with this shriveled hand simply because he's not immediately going to die. Then he tells the man to stretch out his hand and he heals him. This makes them all so annoyed. If, you, if you're wondering, was this a big deal? It says in the last line, they went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. How to kill him. Because what he's done is he's got up and said, you read all your laws wrong. You've missed the way of God. In your attempt to get closer to God, you've somehow missed it all completely. And I got to tell you, this story like legit cracks me up. Like, I totally dig this Jesus who was like, listen, you just told me not to do something. Come here, come here, come here. Hold out your hand. That kills me. I think that's amazing. If you think Jesus is a boring, wussy sort of guy, you are mistaken. But this isn't a story about like a petulant child just going, mm, you tell me not to do something, then I'm going to do it. It has nothing to do with that. This is Jesus putting to them an important question. What's the Kalwahamer? <laughs> Which way is greater? What is the greater way? And he says, I'll tell you what my way says is greater, what the way of God says is greater, and that is that love and mercy is greater. And that's why he uses this example of the sheep. He says, you're willing to save a sheep, but you won't help a hurting person. How is it okay to do that and not to help a living child of God? Now, some of us might find this, we might balk a little bit about this, because we might take some exception with Jesus' implication here that humans matter more than sheep. Um, but Jesus is saying they do. They hands down do. He's not saying that animals are not valuable, that God doesn't care about them, that we shouldn't care. But he says that sometimes we get mixed up, and we make exceptions for a sheep, in this case, and not a human being. And, you know, we can do that, too. In a great example, some of you remember in the spring of 2016, a three-year-old boy climbed into the gorilla enclosure at the Cincinnati Zoo. Do you remember this? And because the boy was in danger, because he ended up with this uh, large gorilla named, I don't remember how to say it, Heron Bay, 17-year-old um, gorilla, much beloved, endangered, and the people there, they shot the gorilla to save the little boy's life. Now, that is very sad. It is sad that the gorilla had to die. What is sadder is how the world reacted to this. I despaired over reaction to this. I actually read a comment thread one time, and solidly half of the people that commented said, there's lots of bratty children out there. That gorilla was endangered. 
I read a comment that full-on said, you know what, those are terrible parents, that kid's going to grow up to be awful. It would have been better to save the gorilla. Friends, we get mixed up sometimes. <laughs> and what was even more interesting is why this was happening. And you, do you remember what a big news story this was? This was when the Syrian refugee crisis was going on, when there were boats sinking every day with hundreds of children because they didn't have anywhere safe to live and were outraged over a gorilla. And someone actually made this very clever cartoon that hit me so hard when I saw it. You're going to see it on the screen here. If you can't see the words, it's a boat full of Syrian refugees, and in the middle is a gorilla in the cage. And one of the men says, we brought him so people would care what happens to us. This is what Jesus is challenging us about. I'm not saying we shouldn't have cared about gorillas. I love animals. I am saying that with this example of the sheep, Jesus is challenging us about what it means to do good for people who follow, for people, to care for people and to love them. And it's easy for us to forget that. This story isn't about eating grain. It's not about licking donuts. This is about a bigger question. And the question is, have we got mixed up measures? Do we use mixed up measures? And I know that so often I do. The Pharisees in the story, with all their good intentions... We're using their system of laws, and God's laws were good, but they were using them to harm people sometimes. They were eager to maintain tradition for tradition's sake, so much so to the point that sometimes they forgot the bigger law of God to love, to love. Later, someone will ask Jesus, what's the most important law? And he will answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, all the laws are summed up in these. He's saying, don't bring your sacrifice and get all the laws right and forget mercy. And it's so easy to do. Now, I know that I can look down at the Pharisees. We can look back at them and go, they just got that so mixed up. But what about us? I know I do it all the time. Personally, I can't help but ask myself, what are the times that I put my own comfort over loving other people, even as someone who claims to love God? When do I choose myself over truly loving someone? When do I use a mixed-up measure? When do I say, oh, but that top is really, really cute, and I just want some new clothes, and I value fast fashion over really caring about the suffering of those who make it? When do I get caught up, or we get caught up in worrying about property values when we hear that a group home's about to move in our community? When do we want worship our way? And we say, well, this is how I really like it, without considering if it would open or shut doors for someone that needs Christ. A perfect example, and we all have ones like this, was many years ago when I was working at a different church, and we used to have Sunday school before church started, and we're all in Sunday school, and this gentleman showed up, never been to church before, and he was sitting at the back, just sitting by himself. No one knew him. This church didn't get a lot of guests, and uh, even though it was quite large. And so he was just kind of sitting there for like an hour before the service started. I got to tell you, he caused such a stir. It still makes me laugh whenever I think about it. I should have like went and high-fived him for shaking everyone up that day. And everyone's like, did you see the guy at the back? There's a guy at the back. Oh, gosh, there's a guy at the back. What should you do about the guy at the back? I don't know what to do about the guy at the back. And uh, he was wearing a baseball hat. And this was a very traditional church. It's 20 years ago. And I remember this one woman saying, well, for goodness sakes, could someone just go and tell him to take his baseball hat off in church? And I went, for goodness sakes, could someone just go and welcome him to church? 
Could someone just go and walk them into church? And that's what we, that's a mixed up measure, right? That's, you know, you really need to not wear your baseball hat in church. Forgetting the values of love and mercy. And I know one of the ways that we've tried to put this in practice here is, is with coffee. And when we, this is going to sound silly, but when we first put these chairs in, which was a number of years ago now, what, like six or seven years ago, we renovated, we got these new chairs, and we discussed, well, are we still going to allow people to bring coffee and food into church when we've got these lovely new chairs that, you know, we fundraised for and we bought? And our answer was, yeah, because we decided to say, you know what, we value making someone feel welcomed and at home over a chair. And I'm really glad to go to a church that said that, right? And if that means we get a stained chair, we get a stained chair. But we value that over saying to someone at the door, ooh, I'm so sorry, you have to throw out your coffee you just bought. Right? There's so many ways we put this into practice. And it can be even bigger than this. An author named N.T. Wright asks this. Don't just look at yourself. Look at your countries. Look at your world. Look at your systems. He says... What systems are currently in danger of being exalted over human beings in our world? What systems are currently in danger of being exalted over human beings? And those systems are all around us. We find all kinds of reasons to justify not showing love, not seeing every human as a child of God. We say things like, well, we need to keep ourselves safe first. We need to look after ourselves. We can't do everything. They've caused so many problems. We need to be sure that the people that know what they're doing are safe. But Jesus' invitation to the Pharisees is the same one to us. Are we using a mixed-up measure? I forgot to ask, would you pass me the scale? (laughs) Dallas saves the day. Yay. So a few years ago, Dallas and I were traveling, and we bought this little scale. And I don't know how well you can see it in hindsight. We love it. It's meant to be a decoration. We don't use this for weighing anything. But I don't know if you can see. The main reason is that it doesn't work. Can you see that this side is lower? No matter what we do, this scale doesn't even out. It's always lower on this side. Makes a nice decoration. But as I thought about this sermon this week, I thought... This is actually a Jesus scale. And you know what's over here? Love and mercy. The scale always starts tipped further towards love and mercy. It always weighs the other side down a little bit more. And that's our invitation, to remember that love changes the scale, that mercy changes the scale. This is the way of Jesus. And this is the thing we are invited to live into in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we do get caught up in the things that are comfortable for us. We know. We know that sometimes we have our rules and we have our systems and they are comfortable for us. But God, would you help us to continue in your ways to be able to wait love and wait mercy in the way that you would. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.